0: Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you. It's good to be back with you this week. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw Paul's prayer for this church in Philippi. As we walked through this book, uh, the, the, the book of Philippians, um, and, and we saw that Paul loves this church. He prays for them. We looked at how he prays for them. Uh, we said that Paul, he's just this monumental figure in church history, uh, in the history, in history period, Uh, He spreads the gospel throughout the world um, and and really leads the charge getting the message from the the Jewish context where it started uh, in Israel to the nations, right, to the Gentiles. Um, My my favorite type of podcast, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and my favorite type of podcast is interview, right? Interview podcast where people will, uh, the host will interview experts, artists, people who are at the top of, of their respective field, it's always fascinating to hear about their lives and what uh, what what drives them, how they've overcome obstacles, and kind of gotten to the place where they where they are. And you can learn you can learn something from everyone, right? These, if this is a good interview, I just I find you can learn something uh, from from anyone. And you might think about this text today as, as an interview with the Apostle Paul, a podcast interview. Uh, we've gotten through the opening introduction, the greetings, and we're at the place where the host says, "So, Paul, how you doing?" Right? We, we, we were sad to hear that you're under house arrest in Rome. That's terrible. What's been happening? What challenges have you been facing? And Paul basically answers that. Right? And just like in podcast interviews, I, I think we get a glimpse into his life and what really drives him uh, deep down. A little background context, uh, just so we remember where Paul is. This is from the kind of the end of Acts. Uh, Paul was almost killed by a mob in Jerusalem, uh, but he, he was saved by the Romans. Like the Romans' guards came in, actually saved his life, but but uh, you know arrested him, put him in custody. Um, he stood trial before the Sanhedrin, where he caused a big ruckus, right by by kind of pitting the the Pharisees and the Sadducees against them, against each other. He said, "I'm here on behalf of the resurrection of the dead," right? And they disagreed about that. Um, he, he was going to stand trial before them again until a, a plot was discovered against his life there was a group of men who had pledged not to eat until they had killed the apostle Paul Um, and that was discovered and and the, the, the Roman centurion in charge sent Paul with an armed guard to Caesarea in the night to escape and I always wondered what happened to those people you know who pledged not to eat until they had killed Paul it's like are you liar or are you dead? You know, like like what did the, what happened to them? I don't know. Um, he he started. Uh, he was there in Caesarea for two years until kind of a change of, of regime. Uh, a lot of bureaucracy was going on. Uh, after which, Paul appealed to Caesar. Right? I appealed to Caesar, and he was sent to Rome. Uh, he, he started a long voyage to Rome and it didn't go well. Uh, he was shipwrecked and recklessly saved, washed up on, on an island called Malta uh, where he, he got bitten by a snake, if you remember that part. Uh, after three months, they were able to to board another ship and continue the voyage and, and finally make it to Rome. Right, I, I tell you all this just to give you a little bit of this, this is all the background. right? This is the, where, where Paul is writing from. Paul was put under house arrest, uh, which means uh, he had his own house. He was able to rent a house, but a guard was constantly uh, supervising him, was chained to him. He had freedom to entertain visitors, to speak, to write, obviously, but he was under constant supervision. And so this is the context that Paul's writing from. So you can imagine him doing this podcast interview on Zoom, you know, and uh, you know the, the, just out of the frame to the right is the, sitting the Roman guard. You know, you can see his shoulder every now and then, kind of the, the chain connecting their wrist. And if you're like, Lawson, do you know they didn't have electricity back? I know, it's a metaphor. Like, just go with it. Um... Yes, so I wanna look at three things today that Paul says as he tells the church uh, about, his, uh, about his situation. One, uh, suffering can't stop the gospel, that's the first point. Two, uh, brothers with impure motives can't stop the gospel. And number three, uh, even death can't stop the gospel. Let's pray once more and, uh, and we'll begin. Father, I thank you so much for bringing us here. Um, thank you for the breath in our lungs and thank you for the opportunity to gather as, as uh, brothers and sisters and friends here, um, Lord, we, we ask that you would speak to us through your Word, um, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would come and you would you would you would speak to each of us as we need. Uh, you know us. You know our weakness and our and our fickleness and our distractedness. Um, you know all the things that, that cloud our minds and and all the ways that uh, that we are we are easily uh, led astray and distracted from the things that really matter. And so would you focus us? Would you, would you speak to us? Would you speak to each of us? Um, and and would, you, would we be open to what you have to say? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Number one, suffering can't stop the gospel. So the podcast host says, Paul, how's it going? Tell us how it's going. Verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. What a surprising way to start. right? Because you can imagine Paul's frustration and the church's frustration uh, that, that, that Paul has been locked up for these now several years. right? This is the guy who could roll into a town you know, cast out some demons, heal some people, preach the gospel, appoint some elders, plant a church. Like, like this guy rolls into a town, a few weeks later he leaves and there's a church left there, right? This is, uh, this is amazing, right? Uh, I mean, any Christian going to jail is a bummer, you know? But Paul, it's like, you're starting quarterback, man. You know, it's like, man, not him. But Paul says, oh no, I, I want you guys to know, what's happened has actually advanced the gospel, Right? Notice he doesn't say God is working despite these bad circumstances. He says God is using these bad circumstances. He's used this to advance the gospel. And I love this part because Paul is he's chained to a member of the Imperial Guard. The Imperial Guard was Caesar's uh, hand picked bodyguards. Like this was his, uh, his you know, the, that guarded the palace. Um, and so he, he's chained to this this uh, you know uh, Roman centurion, this this imperial guard, uh, and, and you can just imagine him saying this you know saying this out loud. He's probably dictating this to someone who's writing it down for him. You can imagine him saying this out loud, man. What's happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard to everyone else that I, I'm in prison because I'm in Christ. Right, if he's on Zoom, you know it's like even Brutus here knows about Jesus now, and he's like, "Hey guys, what?" You know, Uh, he's he's like, at the end of Philippians, Paul says, "All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household." Right, which I think shows Paul's ministry to the, the guards chained to him, shift after shift after shift, had the effect of not only spreading the gospel to them, but also from them to the very household of Caesar, of Nero himself. Which is incredible. The gospel going forward through his imprisonment to places that Paul could never have gotten otherwise. Not only that, but verse 14, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment. And dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. How else is the gospel advancing? Christians there in Rome, right, looked at Paul's imprisonment and gained confidence to speak the word fearlessly. This isn't, and that's not a given, right? You might look at Paul and see he's in prison for speaking about Jesus. So I think I'm not gonna speak about Jesus. I'm gonna be a little quieter. I'm gonna be a little more careful um, and cower a little bit in fear. But that's not how they responded. They, they, they were more bold than, than even before. And I think that's, that's actually how Christians usually respond, right? We, we are stirred by examples of faithful suffering to suffer well ourselves. We, we see uh, the righteous examples of those who speak out boldly and suffer for it. And that makes us pray, right? It makes us pray like an in, like in Acts, pray for the same boldness. And this is one reason, I think, to read Christian biographies, I'd encourage you to do that. Read Christian biographies. Uh, It's so faith-stirring to hear the stories of brothers and sisters who've gone courageously before us. Many brothers gained confidence and spoke fearlessly in the gospel advanced. and Paul's happy about that. But not everything is is peachy. Uh, Second, the second point is is brothers with impure motives can't stop the gospel. Um, We get here in the interview to some challenges that Paul is facing all right, many brothers, he says, speak the word fearlessly because of my imprisonment, but some have other motives, right? Verse 15, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach Christ out of love, knowing I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Uh, Every commentator tries to to identify these people who preach Christ out of envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition. But the interesting thing is that no one really knows who they are because Paul doesn't give us enough information. Right, here's what we do know about them. Uh, They preach, one, they preach from envy and rivalry. So they feel threatened in some way by Paul and his ministry. Two, they proclaim Christ. it, It says, Paul says they they proclaim him. Um, and, and, and Paul, in his other letters, is not gentle toward people who don't preach the true gospel, right? Who preach an impure gospel or, not, or, or you know, are not preaching the gospel or a different gospel. And so it doesn't seem like it's a doctrinal problem, right? They are actually preaching Christ. Third, the third thing we know, they proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, it says. So they're trying to gain something for themselves by causing Paul trouble in his imprisonment. That's all. That's all we know. It's hard to see who these people would be. What does it even look like? And, but I think there's some good wisdom here for us all. Could Paul have listed the names of these brothers who had selfish motives? Yes. Right? Could he have detailed their grievances against him and shown them to be bogus or self-serving? Undoubtedly. Right? Could, could he have memorialized them forever in the Bible as people worth scorning and maligning? Yes, he could have. But did he? No. He, he didn't even tell us enough for scholars to uncover the likely party <laughs> that, that you know, they, they, were, they belong to. Instead, what does he say, verse 18? What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. You see the wisdom here? There's a division in the church in Rome. There's a pro-Paul party and an anti-Paul party. But you know, Paul says, both preach Christ. And so, you know, he, I think he would say, it's not easy, but, but I'm, I'm good with it, right? I'm, Christ is proclaimed, I can rejoice in that. And you would think of all people, Paul could lead a united ministry. right? You'd think that Christians would rally around him, and some did, but some didn't. And, and, and this, is, this is just the case in the world we live in, isn't it? There are always some people with impure motives, always some people operating out of envy and rivalry instead of love. But Paul is able not to badmouth them, not to badmouth brothers and sisters, and he's able to keep the main thing the main thing. Right, Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice in that. And the gospel is going forward. Number three, death can't stop the gospel. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, verse 19, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. There's a seeming contradiction here. I know this will lead to my salvation, he says. It's going to lead to my deliverance. I'm going to be saved, I'm sure of it. Some people think this means he's going to to be released from custody. But then he says, it's my hope, it keeps explaining, as it's my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body if I live or die, whether by life or death. Right? So he's saying, I know I'm going to be saved even if I die. Okay, so I, I think from the rest of this letter, we, 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 I think we, we can see that Paul does think he'll be released, he wants to be released, um, but that's not what he's hoping in. He's hoping in, in a greater salvation. There's a salvation for Paul that happens whether he lives or whether he dies, and we'll get into this more next week, but it's, it's a win-win, right, to live is Christ, to die is gain, but verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body by life or by death. What does Paul want? Christ to be honored in his body. Just notice, as the interview pro- progresses, you know, so often in these interviews, it, the most interesting thing is not, not sometimes what they say, but it's, it's just the... the, the what you get from them is what drives them. What do they really care about? How, like, what, What's the, the driving force behind what they're doing? And, and what is it for Paul? I think you see it here. right? You see what he cares about. He cares about the gospel advancing. He cares about Christ being proclaimed. He cares about Christ being honored in his body. This drives him. Paul, Paul was a single-minded individual. In Acts 20, 24, he said this, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Paul is what a lot of people would call a radical. Right? A radical. Well, people don't like radicals. Right? You can be a Christian, just don't take it too seriously. You know. Right? He, he, was a, he, he was obsessed with Jesus, with the gospel advancing. He was sold out. And, and an interesting question, I think, is... Is this what we're called to as well? And I think even a cursory reading of the New Testament would say yes. Right? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's not that's not a command just for some spiritual elite. Right? Make disciples of all nations. That's not a command just for pastors or something. It's a call for everyone. And so Paul sets an example, I think, for Saul. But I wonder, how did he do it? Right? How was he so sold out, so single-minded, so steadfast? And maybe that's the closing question the podcast host asked Paul in the interview. How, how are you able to do this, Paul? And I think we see two clues from our passage, and I think he could have answered in, in these two ways. We see the first clue in verse 13. It's become known that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. It's a funny way to put it. All the commentaries point out, that this is a funny way to say it. It would have made more sense to say my imprisonment is for Christ or my imprisonment is because of my allegiance to Christ. But he says, my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. When we trust Jesus... And to be clear, um, we trust that he is the son of God as he claimed to be. We trust that he lived the perfect sinless life in our place, right? We trust that he died on the cross for our sin and we trust that he rose from the dead in victory, ascended to heaven and he's gonna come back one day, right? This is the gospel that we we believe, we trust him. Um, And when, when that happens, we're not only forgiven and justified and reconciled to God, adopted into the family, all the things we sing about every week, right? All of that culminates... In that we're united with Christ. We're united with Christ. This is central for Paul. We're brought into a deep union and communion with a person. The relationship we have with him, right, is the one that marriage is a shadow of, right? The two, the two will be, father, you know, the man will leave his father and the woman leaves her mother and father, and they become one flesh. Right? And and Paul says that's that's referring to Christ in the church. We are in Christ. We're united with him and so we're safe. And this is how Paul can know whether he lives or dies, he's safe. He, he's saved. He had, a, he had a very stable identity in Christ. We're, we're living in a, in a time of, of, I think, massive social upheaval. And much of it has to do with the question of identity, right? Who we are, what are we here for? How do we figure that out? And there are basically two approaches to identity formation. And I got got, got this from Tim Keller. I think he got it from Charles Taylor, who's a Canadian philosopher. One is this. There's an objective truth out there, a way the world is, right? A meaning to life that's independent of, of you. And your true identity is discovering and embracing that reality. That's the first way to get identity. The other is that life is what you make it. Right, That there isn't an objective order or meaning to the universe. And so your true identity comes from expressing your deepest desires. You either look outward or you look inward. Identity is either discovered or it's invented. And obviously the world right now holds the latter. Right? Identity is found inside by expressing your deepest desires. You have to invent your own identity. You have to self-define and there, there are a ton of problems with this, I think, but, but the one I want to point out is just the fragility of it. Right? It's a fragile identity, I think we all agree, that, that's based on feelings, because as we all know, feelings change. <laughs> right? Feelings change all the time. And so if your identity is based on your feelings, um, it might, your identity might change tomorrow because your feelings might change. It's not stable. It, it can't sustain life's pressure Paul, however, clearly had a stable identity, a strong identity, one that held up under all kinds of pressure because he understood himself fundamentally to be in Christ. He clearly held that identity as discovering reality outside of himself and embracing it. And he found that in Jesus. The relationship with Jesus wasn't based on feelings inside of him, Right? It, it was based on the reality of a crucified and risen Jesus who he spoke with, who he loved, who he followed. Don't you want an identity that can stand up under pressure? Something solid, something you can depend on. He, he's a person, and <laughs> his name is Jesus. Right? If you're a Christian, this is who you are. At the deepest level, you're in Christ. You're united with him. This is your identity. So first, Paul had a stable identity in Christ. Second, notice how Paul believes this salvation, this vindication, um, this deliverance will happen. In verse 19, yes, I, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. Through your prayers, he says, and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that this is how we're saved. It doesn't mean you get saved by someone else praying for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this situation, all these things that have happened to me and are happening to me leading up to my trial, this will all turn out to my salvation, my deliverance, my vindication, right? The gospel will advance. Christ will be honored in my body no matter what any Roman court says. And it, he says it will happen through your prayers. Paul, the apostle, thought that this church's prayers for him. And remember, this isn't a mega church. Like, this was a house church. It was a small group of believers in Philippi, right? Um, and he says, their prayers, uh, it's through their prayers and, and, and their prayers that send him the help of the Spirit that would get him through. And isn't it amazing? He could have said, simply, this will lead to my salvation by the help of the Spirit of, of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't. He says, through your prayers. And I don't think he's just throwing them a bone, right? I don't think he's just saying like, yeah, yeah, you can help me out if you pray. You know? like, I don't think that's what, that's what it is. I think he's saying this because he knows how it works, right? He knows how it works and he needs their prayers to make it through because God answers prayers. So Paul not only had a stable identity and he was able to to be so steadfast because of it. He also had prayer support, right? He had a prayer network that prayed for him. And if we're going to make it to the end, if we're going to be able to stand to the end unashamed, right? if if Christ is going to be honored in our body, in life or death, we're going to stand with full courage that will only happen through our prayers for each other and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. There are no lone rangers in Christianity, right? We need each other. The apostle Paul needed people. Don't you think we do? Paul wasn't a superhero, right? He was a man in Christ, a man depending on the help of the spirit through the prayers of the church. And if he doesn't have those things, I think he folds, he folds, right? But but he does have those things. So he doesn't, he stands, in this passage, Paul says, what happened to me advanced the gospel, right? So suffering itself can't stop the gospel. He said that what's happening in Rome, like with the church, is that, man, the gospel is being proclaimed. And there's some with bad motives, but the gospel is still being proclaimed, right? Brothers with impure motives can't stop the gospel's advance. He said that it's his eager expectation and hope that, that by his life or death, Christ will be honored. Death itself can't stop the gospel advancing, And I want to point out maybe the obvious. Uh, The gospel did advance and is still advancing. The death of Paul and all the apostles and and the first generation of Christians did not stop the gospel. It spread from home to home, from people to people, from nation to nation. We are on the other side of the globe (laughs) from the Middle East. 2,000 years later, and we're worshiping the same Jesus Christianity uh, is the most diverse religion in the world by far, right? Christianity is the, is the only re- truly wo- global religion, right? If you think of, uh, it's the only religion, Christianity is the only religion that, is, that isn't represented in primarily the location where it started, right? Think of uh, Hinduism in India, uh, Islam in the Middle East, Buddhism in Southeast Asia, right? They're, they're all, all those religions are still primarily located there. But where is Christianity, right? Where did it start? started in Israel, right? Where is it now? According to the World Christian Database, there's 667 million Christians in Africa, 612 million in Latin America, 565 million in Europe, 379 million in Asia, 268 million in North America. The way Christianity is talked about in in America, you might think that that Christianity is kind of a white middle-class thing. (laughs) But it's not, right? It's not. Most Christians aren't white, right? Africa is quickly becoming the global center of Christianity. The Pew Research Center predicts that by 2060, two out of five uh, of, of all Christians will be African. The gospel advances advances all over the world and yet brothers and sisters e- even as, as uh, we're going to hear from, from Josh and Laura Rice um, there, there are places that are still in deep darkness they do not know Jesus, they do not know what it means to be in Christ, they do not know what Jesus has done for them they do not know that he loves them and so we should ask, and I think we should always be asking, what, what's our role? Lord, what do you want me to do? What's our part to play? Because the gospel will advance, <laughs> right? It will advance, right? we, we know this because Jesus said it. The gospel will be proclaimed to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, right? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gospel is advancing, it will advance, but, but we need to ask, what's our role? What's my role from Tomball, Texas, right now? Sometimes on, on podcast interviews, uh, the very last thing that the host will do is ask the guest if they have a last word, you know, like something they wanna leave the audience with. And I have a guess as to what Paul might say. Um, Do do you know that Paul ends all of his letters in the New Testament in the same way? It's pretty interesting. All 13 letters, he ends them all the same way. You know what he says? He says something about grace, right? Grace to you. May grace and peace be with your spirit. Grace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, He always is saying something about grace. And so I think that's how he would end, right? I think that's what he would want to leave us with that may, may God's grace be with each one of you. God, God is, a, is a God of grace, of undeserved kindness. Right? He, he has poured out his mercy on us in Christ, not because we deserve it. <laughs> right? We most assuredly do not. But he has, he has provided everything for us in Jesus. And so we celebrate his grace. And may his grace be on each of you today. Let's pray as the band comes. Father, Thank you so much uh, for your grace uh, and for this gospel, this good news uh, that has come to us, this mystery that's been revealed, how you can reconcile sinners to yourself. Thank you for, the, for this message that ha- has gone forward throughout the centuries. Father, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know your love and doesn't know your grace, I just pray that you would pour your love into their hearts by your Holy Spirit uh, right now in a way that they they can't deny, a way that would uh, change them forever. And Lord, I pray that for all of us. I pray that you would pour your love again into our hearts. You'd fill us with your Spirit. We would know that we're yours. Lord, would your gospel advance um, to the darkest places on this planet, Um, to the the countries uh, where where there aren't many Christians, Lord, to Japan, to Turkey, to Pakistan, to Afghanistan? Lord, and would you give us a vision for, for how to be a part of that? What, you, what you're calling us to. We want to be sold out for you. We want to, we, we want to be completely yours. We struggle so much with it. We are so weak, <laughs> uh, Lord, but you are strong. And so we need you. Please help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.